You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 36. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or private practice. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have five or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Maggie MacArthur. Maggie lives in Fairport, New York with her husband, John, and son, Keegan. She's the music therapist for Brockport Central School District and received her master's degree from Nazareth College of Rochester. In addition to music therapy, Maggie teaches early childhood music classes and plays the fiddle in her band, The Strings. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So I always like to start with a little bit of background about you and how you became a music therapist. So tell us that story. Sure. It's actually kind of a very interesting story because I originally started out as a music education major at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. Um, and originally being from Connecticut, I was really excited to come to Rochester and check out their whole music scene. And I stayed at Eastman for a year. And while I was there, I just kind of felt, I felt that music education might not be my, my niche. Like I knew that I loved music, but I wasn't sure if this was the exact route that I wanted to go. So, um, I came back for my sophomore year and decided, I think that I'm going to go to the University of Connecticut, which is originally, you know, where I'm from. It's a state school and kind of just find my path. And that was actually a very hard decision for me to make, you know, to leave your school and leave your major and um, transfer to another one. But it actually ended up being the best thing because when I was at University of Connecticut, 
I did elementary early childhood education with a um, minor in psychology and kind of started to take more classes in special ed. And then eventually from that, I found out about music therapy, which seemed to be the perfect combination of my passion for music and my passion for special ed. So eventually, ironically enough, I ended up back in Rochester for my master's degree at Nazareth College. And uh, I've been here ever since. And now I work at Brockport Central School District as their district music therapist. So I am a school-based music therapist. And you have such a comprehensive education, it sounds like, with a little (laughs) bit of everything. That's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Which is nice because um, although I loved going to Eastman School, of music, it was, you know, a conservatory. So there weren't as many opportunities to take any, you know, general education classes. So I think it really did work out well that I ended up going to University of Connecticut to get that well-rounded education and also have the the music component. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can actually really relate to what you were saying about it being so hard to leave the school where you had made friends and were in a program already to go somewhere else. Because I did that too. I was at this amazing liberal arts college down in Florida, and I did end up completing my performance degree there because I had enough credits to where I could, it just made more sense to finish up before I went on to my master's. But I graduated a year and a half early, so I was leaving all of my friends. I was leaving, you know, this amazing program that I was in to go, you know, pursue music therapy, but it ended up being totally worth it. So. I'm, so you can definitely empathize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still look back and I think, oh gosh, I could have had so much fun that last, you know, year and a half, but right. I, I saved my parents a lot of money, so they appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. And that's how I say to my parents too. I'm like, it might've taken me a lot of years to do my undergrad before master's, but I ended up doing a state school, so it's okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's, that is a very interesting path. So At what point in your career were you when you decided that you were ready to start a family? So um, my husband and I, we actually met when I was doing my internship for music therapy. And um, it's kind of funny because we met doing a Tough Mudder. So it was completely something out of the blue. A Um, Tough Mudder? What's that? Mudder. So a Tough Mudder is, it's about 30 obstacles. It's usually about a half marathon long, so 13.1 miles. And it's um, designed to benefit the Wounded Warrior Project. So it helps um, soldiers with any with um, funds to help them get limbs, prosthetic limbs, and uh, any kind of financing that they need after the war. And um, it's kind of just like a, a giant obstacle course with running and mud and there's like electric wires and like all these crazy, crazy things. So basically not a place that you would ever expect to meet your future spouse. <laughs> no, precisely, precisely. It was actually my music therapy supervisor. Her husband was like, oh, you know, Maggie loves to run marathons and she loves to be active. And he was the one who got me on his team. And it turned out that my future husband was a, uh, he's a physical therapist and my future husband's a third grade teacher. And so he asked him too. And lo and behold, we met. And um, so we kind of joke around that our whole entire relationship has been kind of like a one big tough mutter where we have these different obstacles. And the whole point of the race is to help your teammates make it through each obstacle. So there's no time, there's no medal or anything at the end. It's just to get everybody through. 
So, um, so fast forwarding to children, we, we said, you know, we bought our house and we got married and we did all of our, our dating and our courtship. Those were all of our obstacles. And then we were like, you, you know, I think we're, I think we're ready for children. So we kind of just looked at each other one day, um, pretty close to after we got married actually. And we were like, I think, I think we're ready for another obstacle. And so lo and behold, we decided, um, about a year ago to start trying to get pregnant. And now we have a three month old named Keegan. What a cool story. And I love that metaphor of the obstacles. That's so neat. So you hadn't been married for very long before you decided to um, pursue having children. Right. We actually, um, there is a nine year difference between us and we kind of, you know, we had both been in relationships before and then when we met each other and we knew, you know, this is it. So it was kind of always just agreed upon that we knew we wanted to start for children right after, um, right after we got married. Once you made that decision, then did you sort of begin to think down the line, like what would my career look like and what direction will I take, um, your, the work that you were doing at that point? Absolutely. It was actually um, a pretty transitional period for both of us when we decided to um, try and get pregnant. And last year, I was actually working three jobs at the time that I was pregnant. So I was a music therapist at Brockport Central School District, where I currently am, but I was job sharing with another music therapist at that point. So it was only part time. So to fill in for that, I also um, taught music together classes. I'm a certified music together teacher here in Pittsburgh, New York. And then I also was uh, serving tables at a restaurant. <laughs> wow. How are you managing to do all of that? <laughs> I honestly, I have no idea because they always tell you when you get pregnant, like, oh my gosh, you're going to be so tired. And you think, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to be tired. I get it. And it's one of those things, then you get pregnant in your first trimester and you're like, wow. Like I, I never had any idea of what tired was until right. I was pregnant. Oh my goodness. So you continued working all three of those jobs during your pregnancy? I did. I did. Um, up until about, I'd say three, three weeks or two weeks before um, Keegan's birth date, I stopped waiting tables. I stopped serving tables. Um but I was still doing the music together classes and up until the end of the school year. He was born on June 14th. So it actually was perfect because the last day of my um, special education music therapy services was like June 13th. So it was perfect. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, he knew. Yeah, no kidding. Just hold off until that date. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> so what were some of your challenges at – not just related to your music therapy and your early childhood work, but also I can imagine waiting tables can't be easy when you're pregnant. Not at all. Um, so definitely the physical aspect of pregnancy, like I said, is something that uh, you just, you have no comprehension of it until you actually experience it yourself. Like I always knew it would happen to my body, like, and how it would look, but to actually feel it is just a completely different story. Um, and I will say that I am a firm believer of, um, how you are when you're pregnant kind of affects how your child is. Like I was pretty relaxed during my pregnancy, which amazingly enough, I had a lot going on, but 
stayed very busy and I was very active. And um, Keegan now as a three month old, he's up all during the day and he sleeps at night. But we always joke around that it's because when we were pregnant, I was just moving constantly. So he was just used to being up all throughout the day. And then when it was nighttime, it was nighttime. Right. So um, just the physical aspect of serving tables, uh, it was very nice because when you are pregnant um, and you start to visibly show, a lot of people are very generous and kind to you. And, you know, the, the bus boys were very nice at my restaurant. They were always offering to bus my tables for me and, you know, kind of give me an extra hand. Oh, that's great. Um, as far as the, you know, you can attest to the childhood music classes. It's a workout. You know, it's a 45-minute class, and you're up and down, and you're dancing, and you're singing, and you're playing your guitar while dancing and singing, and you have two-year-olds running around. <laughs> so it, it definitely, um, it was also really nice, though, because I have all the parents included in my music education classes, and the, primarily their mothers. So they have children already, so they understand. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they're also pregnant at the same time. And right. two of my I had mothers who were also pregnant. So we would kind of um, joke around back and forth about, okay, well, here's some modifications for this movement activity. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, that's the nice thing about working in that setting is that they've all been there and done that. So they know what you're going through and the challenges that come with it. But, you know, I love that you say that it's a workout because <laughs> towards the end of my pregnancy, I was like, okay, this is my workout. This is my exercise for the day right here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I couldn't even – and, you know, it gets to the point too when, when you are talking to your friends who um, haven't had children yet and uh, you're trying to explain to them like even just walking up a flight of stairs like to do laundry and to get to your bedroom is is tough. You get winded. Like that's – it's a whole different ball game when you're pregnant versus oh, it's so true. Exercise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I'm curious about what point in your pregnancy did you either make a decision or did things change in your work situation where you knew what was going to be happening after your son was born? Yeah, actually um my the therapist that I was job sharing with just received this wonderful opportunity to work abroad and be in a music therapy clinic. So she found out about January that she had been offered this fantastic experience to work abroad with music therapy and had mentioned to me, you know, if you are interested, I would love to put in a good word for you and to see if maybe you could step into this position as just one music therapist. And it was definitely my dream job, Rachel. It's a district where they have their own music therapist. So instead of contracting out to private companies, you're just, you're in the district and um, it's five different schools all in the same area. So before I had been in a traveling music therapist, you know, like an itinerant music therapist mm -hmm. with a lot of driving. Oh, yeah. So this was just so nice just to go in between five different buildings and it kind of just worked out perfectly. Here I was eight months pregnant and being interviewed for the position to take over for this year. And um, two weeks before I gave birth, I found out that I got the position. Oh, that had to be such a weight <laughs> lifted off of your shoulders. 
Oh my gosh, it's, you can only imagine. Oh, so I knew yeah. that I would have the summer, you know, to be with Keegan and my husband, as I mentioned before, is a third grade teacher. So he also has the summer off. So we would have this time together as a family to just get to know each other and start his life together. And then in the fall, I would be starting a position that I knew about, but was in a different capacity because I would be the full-time music therapist. Right. So you really did have the ideal situation (laughs) (laughs) career-wise. It was, um, it was all perfect timing. Oh, that is so wonderful. And I, I think that so much anxiety comes with being pregnant, especially as you get towards the end of your pregnancy and knowing what's to come. So to have one less thing to worry about, I'm sure just made a huge difference for you. It it was. And it was very nice because I was like, okay, like here is, you know, being a music therapist and a mom, you have these different hats that you wear, you know, you have to be different roles. And to know that that role of, you know, Maggie MacArthur was all set and taken care of, helped me to be able to focus on my upcoming new role of being a mother. Right. So it was very nice not to have that that worry and that anxiety. That's huge. So talk us through after your son Keegan was born and what maternity leave looked like for you. So um, as I said before, it was really nice having the whole summer off. So I ended up having um, 12 weeks, which is nice because – Sadly enough, um, in our country, you know, maternity leave can can look a lot different for a lot of different people. It could be six weeks. It could be more. You might be able to take a whole year off. So I was very fortunate that my husband and I could have the uh, summer off together. And we definitely got used to having this attitude of, you know, it's okay if we don't sleep at night because we have tomorrow together and I can take a nap and you're right. Yeah. You laugh uh-huh. <laughs> and you can tag team like, all right, it's your turn to come on in. I'm going to go, you know, rest for a minute. And oh boy. Then when the fall hit, it was definitely a different story, but you just, you gain this awe, sense of awe and respect for, um, for working families. It's absolutely definitely a different ball game. It is. It's, yeah, it's a challenge. So is your husband on a school calendar as well? Is that why he had the summer off? Yes, he is. He's a third grade teacher. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's very nice. So how did you spend your days with both of you home? Well, like I said before, um, Keegan, you know, he wakes up and he's just kind of up all day. He's a mover and mover. And um, because my husband and I met doing the Tough Mudder and we're very active, um, it was nice because after the six weeks, I went to my doctor and when they clear you for, uh, you know, physical movement mm-hmm. and exercise again, we were able to go on runs together on the Erie Canal and, you know, come back and just kind of relax around the house. And it, it was picture perfect. It was really nice because when you have an infant, you can't really have a schedule. It's kind of whatever they're going to need at, you know, the drop of a hat. Yes. So <laughs> I know all about that. You have to be very flexible and no more plans. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's one of, I think, the hardest things about maternity leave. I was also very lucky to have the entire summer off, both with Parker, my son, and Mia this past summer. And I, it was amazing, but it was also 
really hard for me because I'm totally a schedule person and <laughs> I like to have my routines in place. But like you said, you really, all of that goes out the window. And <laughs> so I think that was probably the biggest challenge for me was just, you know, getting accustomed to kind of going with the flow and seeing what our day brought us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I found, um, you know, this connection between working with special education students for music therapy in the school setting and, you know, having my son is that sometimes you go in and you have a session plan and you're like, this is what we're working on and it's going to be great. We're going to go on these five, you know, five activities and all right. And then you, you walk into the session and your student is, you know, just not self-regulated, you know, if they're on the autism spectrum or they're just, they're, they're not in a good place. And all of a sudden you have to be like, okay, session plan out the window. What do I need to do right now to meet them where they're at? And it's kind of what I found with, you know, Keegan, with my son, is that it might not be my plan for him <laughs> to be throwing, you know, a temper tantrum or to be crying, but I had to meet him where he was at. And you kind of just learn to go with the flow. So there was that connection between my music therapy sessions and being a mom. Oh, absolutely. That's, I think, probably one of the top things that we mention on the podcast almost every episode is that <laughs> there is so much crossover between music therapy and motherhood and just parenthood in general because exactly, you you can't always plan on your plan working. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you prepare for the transition back to work after being home all summer? Oh, honestly, I think I kind of tried to put it out of my mind for as long as I could. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Like I, I wish I had – I mean you can say you can try and prepare as much as you can. You can even try and like get into a little routine and drop them off at daycare beforehand if that's what they're doing or – but I mean, my husband and I chose to just kind of be like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, let's let a moment. And it, it's only, you know, four more weeks. And then it was three more weeks. And then before you know it, it's, oh my gosh, next week we go back to work. So um, try to just kind of get into this point with self mentally where it's good, you know, kind of talking to myself, giving myself these positive affirmations that everything's going to be okay. We have a great, daycare set up. Thank goodness you're not dropping him off and you get to pick him up. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I knew I would be just a complete puddle on the right. first day, which I still was, but it was more bearable that I got to, you know, pick him up and see his smiling little face. So I think just, um, you know, having a partner, having my husband who we were able to kind of communicate verbally once it was really coming up and just talk each other through it. And, and having other moms to connect to. Um, my sister-in-law was very helpful because my niece was actually <laughs> different kind of preparing. She was going to kindergarten year. And so my sister-in-law was, you know, just talking about that transition. And she was able to make connections to when she first dropped off Natalie at daycare for the first two. So just having um, kind of support systems in family members and friends. Yeah, that's huge. And I can definitely say that I, a lot of my sanity is due to having those mommy friends who I can oh. talk to and <laughs> go to with all of those issues that come up on a daily basis, it feels like. So yeah, absolutely agree with you there. 
And then once you started back to work, what did you find to be some of the biggest challenges? Oh, my goodness. Pumping. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, let's talk about pumping. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's a it's a complete different world, and um, even just you know because you're scheduling sessions for five different schools for thirty different students, and you still have to think about okay, pumping time and where I'm going to be, and you know I know all the nurses and all the buildings now. <laughs> like oh Maggie, come on in, and ironically enough, um, in one of the elementary schools, sometimes there's a line for the room oh. because there's a couple of, uh, a couple of us who have infants and newborns at home. Right. So definitely pumping was, uh, something new just in general for me to experience and to schedule. And, um, I will say my district is wonderful. I met with my, um, my advisor and she's like, okay, do you know, make sure you have enough time for planning and then have separate time for pumping as well. So that was very nice to have a, a supportive district being a new mom. Um, and then time management in general, um, trying to make sure that you get everything done at work because you know that at home you're not going to have <laughs> the luxury of maybe, you know, having time to write an assessment or to to write session notes because you do have a newborn. Yeah, that's definitely true. Do you find that you're able to um, plan most of your sessions throughout the day or are you taking a lot of your work home with you? I find that on the weekend I am, um, you know, because I'm, I'm still trying to ease into the groove of it. I am doing a lot more on the weekend. Like once Keegan goes to bed, I have that time at night. Um, but Besides that, I'm, I'm getting better at getting everything done during my planning time. Like I've become more efficient and focused because I know I only have that time. Like, like when you become a new mom and you only have, you know, a couple of minutes to eat before yes. <laughs> you have or, you know, your husband's going to leave and your partner and you need, you need to, to just hop in the shower. Like you just become kind of I don't know, like a superwoman, like yeah, a miracle worker. It's so true. I, you know, I was just thinking this morning as my husband was downstairs with both kids and I needed to take a shower and get ready because we had somewhere to be, um, I was thinking, man, my life is like I'm such a ninja because every day I'm like figuring out how to do all of these things, how to fit things into nap time and how to be quiet and not wake them up if, you know, I'm trying to do something and they're sleeping nearby. It's just, it is crazy how, you know, you do become like this superwoman or at Absolutely. least, you know, we have, we try to. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It doesn't and always work out. No, absolutely not. But <laughs> it's quite a ride. It is. It is. Yeah. So have you found that um, – you've needed to make changes in your career or the way that you approach um, your work in general since becoming a mom? Absolutely. Um, so when I was 20 weeks pregnant, we had our, you know, halfway through ultrasound and right. we weren't going to find out whether it was a boy or a girl. And we went through the whole ultrasound. And when they got to the bottom half, you know, they said, okay, you know, mommy and daddy turn away. And, and then when it was done, the um, ultrasound technician said, okay, I'll be right back. And I remember getting this kind of feeling, a little bit of a feeling of trepidation, like, well, that's weird. I wonder if, you know, they normally leave and then come back. 
And she came back with um, one of the doctors of the practice I was at. And, you know, I looked at my husband's face and he got kind of white and I was, you know, I don't think it really registered with me. I was like, what's going on? You know, why is she here? And she held both of my hands in her hands and she said, you know, Maggie, we have some tough news. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, they found something in the ultrasound. And she said, your son has um, bilateral clubbed feet. And I remember being like, oh, okay. And, And just not knowing what that was. And she said, in a 20-week ultrasound, this is the best bad news that you can get. Wow. And, you know, that was really, that was really tough. And this, you know, it will connect to, to working with music therapy, my students. Um, but it was, it was tough to hear. And the first thing we did, it was on a Friday. So she set us up with an orthopedic pediatric orthopedic surgeon. And, um, I had to go get, you know, some high risk ultrasounds at the nearby hospital, but that was on a Friday. And so we had from Friday until Monday to, of course, look up bilateral club foot on the internet and on Google and just, you know, the worst thing you can probably do because you get all these different stories and information and, you know, you're just trying to sort everything out. Um, but it ended up being this wonderful experience because, it's it's purely an orthopedic issue. We ended up getting more testing and finding out because sometimes there's comorbidity um, between Down syndrome and clubbed foot or um, other disorders. And luckily, Keegan just has you know he was just born. His feet turned in, and it's a hundred percent correctable. And so that was definitely a difficult part of my pregnancy because here I was picturing just this, you know, wonderful pregnancy, textbook pregnancy, following all of the stages and all the weeks. And then all of a sudden here he had, you know, clubbed foot and knowing that right after he was born, he would have to be put into casts and then eventually a brace and that, you know, maybe two years down the road, he'd be totally fine. But, you know, this, this wasn't in my plan or in my idea of what pregnancy looked like. Right. So um, having worked with students with AFOs and in wheelchairs and, you know, in that capacity, being a music therapist, I felt, oh, like I, I understand, you know, what it's like to have an orthopedic issue. Like I get it. You know, it's part of my job as a music therapist to understand all of the different disabilities of the students that I'm working with. But then here I was, you know, with my my three week old going to the orthopedic pediatric orthopedic surgeon and sitting in the waiting room and seeing all of these other children, you know, with CP, cerebral palsy or with other disorders and, you know, having to deal with their AFOs and some of them actually also had clubbed foot. And it kind of hit me like, wow, like this, this is different. (laughs) This is a different level of understanding, you know, my students and any future students that might have this condition. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm can only imagine what kind of connection that helped you make with not only, you know, the other moms that are dealing with orthopedic Mm -hmm. issues, but just in general with any issues that, you know, other people might not typically deal with. Um, 
And we always talk about that, how just motherhood in general connects you with your clients and yes. and their parents just on that 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 basic level of parenthood. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things where, you know, your your child is born and you experience this this sense of love that you never knew. You know, you you love your your partner or your husband more than anything in the universe. And then the two of you make a child. And then you have that child and you're like, oh my gosh, I I I I haven't loved before. Right. Because this is and then (laughs) it's it's just amazing. And then to know as a mother that you would do anything in the world for them. And, you know, you don't, you want to keep them from hurt and from pain and from anything. But then you also know that you have to let them experience that to experience life. And it just kind of, with, with his whole club foot journey so far, now, now I just understand a little bit more of what it's like to be a, a mom of a child who does, you know, who doesn't, we always say, um, in the music therapy field, like quote unquote, who isn't normally, you know, functioning. Right. So, I mean, he, he, he is very fortunate and he will walk and he'll run and, you know, his little feet already look pretty good for now 13 weeks of casts and a brace. But yeah, you just, you get this different kind of empathy for, for other mothers because, you know, you would do anything for your child and then it just helps you kind of understand what they're going through when you are trying to help design um, a service for their child with music therapy because they want what's best for their child. And you're like, okay, I get it. Let's do whatever we can do. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I completely agree. And it makes you want to be a better therapist and it makes you want to be better at your job because you want to make a difference in this child's life. Absolutely. Yeah. I always like to to think in those kind of terms. Like if I was, if I stepped outside of myself and I had me, I was a mom and I had me as my child's music therapist, is, would I be everything that I wanted in my child's music therapist? That's so true. I think about that pretty much every session that I step into. I really do. (laughs) The thought that crosses my mind. In fact, I was at a music class today and it wasn't my music class it was a music class that um I took my son to and as I was sitting there you know as the mom rather than as the music therapist or the the teacher leading the the session I was thinking okay these are the things that I really love as a mom that this that is happening in this music class right now like how can I take that and utilize it in my own practices so that I can you know be providing services to these children that their moms would feel the same way about that I am right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's that constant, like, you have to be introspective. And then it's almost like, um, you know, they say, like, there's six different senses or whatever. Like, you you get this mom sense. Yes. And then you have to learn, oh, oh, okay, like, here's another element and here's another level that now I need to add to my my occupation of being a music therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about some of the fulfilling things that come with, with being a music therapist, but what sort of things um, are fulfilling just in terms of being a working mom and finding a balance between all of the things that you're doing right now? <laughs> it's really funny because if you would have asked me before I gave birth, 
if I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, the answer would have been 100% yes. <laughs> really? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I was like, that's all I want to do. This is great. You know, I, I love my career, but maybe if I could take a year and just be a stay-at-home mom. So, so even just having those um, 12 wonderful weeks with my baby kind of gave me a different sense of, you know what, I, I loved every minute with him, the good and the bad, but, but I missed being a music therapist. Like I missed my, my occupation and my other calling. And it kind of gave me this understanding that you can have different callings in life and you can learn to balance them. Like I, I love being a music therapist and I love being able to, to go and have that separation and do my job and then come home and then be a mom. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it absolutely makes sense. And in fact, it was just reminding me of a music therapist that I um, just interviewed for this past episode before yours. And she said that music therapy is more of a lifestyle than a profession. And I absolutely agree with that because I feel like music therapist, it's something that is in our soul and it's in our personalities. And it's just like we're, we're, So, um, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it, but we can't separate ourselves from it. And, um, you know, we, we will always in some capacity be called to do some type of work, even if, you know, our main, um, role is as a stay at home mom in some way we might find a way to incorporate our profession. So I absolutely. I totally agree with you. And, you know, that's funny because I sort of had that same, like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a stay-at-home mom? (laughs) And then, you know, as the summer progressed, I was like, well, maybe not. (laughs) Exactly. We'll end with two. I can can hardly imagine. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We had one and absolutely, that's that's a whole different. It it is a different ballgame for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely given me um, a chance to, you know, kind of like revisit, okay, what does my ideal schedule look like? And what is, <laughs> how much can I handle in a day? <laughs> right, right. Well, Both at I'm, home and at work. And for work, it's just, it's also one of those things where my husband and I were talking about this in general. You, when you don't have children, you can go to work and you can come home and you know, hi, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was great. And you get to decompress and you get to relax a little and have your own time and have your self-care moments. And when you have a child, you, you know, there's no pause button. No. And like we said before, meeting them where they're at, you come home and you're still on. You just need to switch gears because now you have this, you know, little wonder who is depending on you for everything. And, go, 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 go until hopefully bedtime. Right. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> well, and even then when you have an infant that you're feeding around the clock, that's absolutely there is no real like <laughs> bedtime and then you get the whole night to yourself. And and right. I really – I forgot that because when – before I had Mia, you know, Parker was at the age where he went to sleep and he slept for 12 hours and he still does, oh. which is amazing. Beautiful. Um, it is. It's it is glorious, especially after he didn't sleep for his whole first year. 
but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I got so used to that and, and having those hours at night to either, you know, do some work or hang out with my husband and just kind of decompress and chill. But now that, that I have an infant, it's like a whole other ball game because – She's up with me a lot more, and even though she is a good sleeper, you know, I do have to be prepared for waking up at some point in the night or early in the morning, so it's definitely one of those things where you are on, like, it's a 24-7 gig. Right, right, and like you said before, like, we're just, you're on, and you're you're always the music therapist, but mm-hmm. then you're also always the mom or yep. the wife or, you know, the daughter, the sister, the... It's it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And and you start to realize and understand why it's so prevalent that new moms go through this period where it's like, okay, who am I? And oh. you know, you you feel like you kind of disconnect from your old self because you are somebody's caretaker or doing something for somebody at every second of the day. And I know that that was a big struggle for me with my first and really having a hard time kind of coming back to myself. And I feel like my my work and my profession was so important to me in finding that part of myself again. And um, it was something that kind of saved me the second time around because I was able to kind of remember that experience that I had with my son and, you know kind of tell myself, okay, this is normal and it's going to come back at some point. And right now, you know, I'm, I'm in the trenches and this is just how it's going to be. That's actually a really great point, Rachel. Um, and I can definitely, I mean, I can connect to that so much because now that you mentioned it, I, being a mom was a new role for me. It was this brand new thing. And it's not something that, you know, you study for and you can go to grad school for. It's, here you are with a child yeah. and before you know it, the child's in your arms and you're going home from the hospital and there's no manual. <laughs> no there's manual. No, there's no manual. There's no classes. And I feel like coming back to music therapy was kind of like coming home a little bit. Yes. It was, I knew that role. I knew exactly what to do. And, and it really did. It felt like coming home and it was nice to have a part of my life again that was understandable because when you do first become a mom, there is for every mom, there's that point where you're like, oh my gosh, am, am I doing this right? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, you know, I don't know. I know myself, but I, I don't know myself as a mom. So I can yeah. definitely relate. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like you get back into the music therapy clinic and you're like, oh, okay, now I remember what yeah. this is all about. I know what I'm doing here. It feels here good. <laughs> yeah, you're like, Put that guitar in my arms. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. So you did touch on self-care and the fact that it's hard to find time for it when you're a new mom and you have a little baby to take care of. So are you finding that you're able to to do some self-care practice at all? I am actually. Um, I, I also, on the side, I, I play fiddle and sing in a band called The Strings. And it's a bunch of, there's five of us and we're kind of all in the same boat now. We all have children and we all have professions that are not musicians. So although music therapy, you are a musician while being a music therapist. 
Um, but the other four members are, you know, teachers and uh, massage therapists and a financial advisor, you know, so all different walks of life. So every once a week, I do have my band practice, which is just, it's so nice. And just in general, being a music therapist to have that outlet of playing music just for fun, like for your own therapeutic release. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's so important to have that musical outlet that's not music therapy and that's not yes. work-related yes. because then you it prevents you, or for me, at least that's been the case, it prevents you from feeling that burnout and not connecting with your musical self. Exactly. I, I completely agree because sometimes, you know, you can get – so caught up in in using music yes. for the therapeutic aspect instead of using music for your own enjoyment, which is so important because you don't want that burnout at all, right. <laughs> especially if you love what you do. Exactly. It's dangerous when that happens. Have, so, you, yeah. have you found that it's been doable to continue with the band and to fit that into your schedule after having Keegan? We definitely had a very long um, hiatus. <laughs> Uh-huh. Where um, And they were wonderfully understanding. And, you know, it, the timing was actually kind of perfect because it was the end of the school year. And summer is kind of um, usually our more mellow time. Like we don't have a lot of gigs. We usually do a lot of more gigs during the fall and the winter. And, um, and again, you know, they're all for enjoyment, all for fun. We're not planning on like touring or anything like that. But um, now that I've figured out, out the the pumping and Keegan's feeding schedule and we are actually um we're supplementing a little bit for him just to you know all he does is eat he's a little guy he's a peanut but he's packing on weight now so now that we do have the formula to supplement supplement with breastfeeding it does give me you know a couple of hours once a week where I can go and and enjoy band practice yeah and that's so nice to be able to go do something and not have that constant in the back of your head oh my gosh, what if he's hungry? What if, you know, <laughs> there aren't enough bottles? Because that's so stressful. Well, and it's really nice for my husband too, because he gets that bonding aspect. I feel like when you're a mother, you automatically, you know, you've carried your child for, for nine plus months. And then you also get the breastfeeding aspect. It's It's that connection that's so different. And that, you know, fathers don't really get that. So if they are able to help feed. Like I remember when he was first gave Keegan his first bottle, he was just, my husband lit up in the face and he was just so happy that he could provide him that nourishment and, right. and have that connection with him. Yeah. That's really important. What advice would you give to fellow music therapists, especially first time moms who are getting ready to juggle or balance whatever word you want to use <laughs> the whole career and being a mom and all of that? I would definitely say have have your support system ready. Um, it's so essential, you know, as a music therapist, as a woman, as a person in general, to have, you know, your family or your friends, whoever's really close to you in your life there, because you're going to need them. <laughs> I feel like... Um, especially as therapists, we, we kind of feel like since we are, you know, we have this wonderful profession, we feel like we can conquer the world and tackle everything. But there are those moments where you need to reach out 
and get help from others and get advice and be able to vent. And jumping into motherhood is another one of those situations where you need that support system. Yeah, that's so true. And sometimes easier said than done. I know that I'm terrible at accepting help. (laughs) Yeah, I hate asking for it. And it's really funny because my husband will always say, oh, pot calling the kettle black because, you know, I (laughs) – it, you know, I preach asking for help, and, right. but, um, you know, sometimes, and especially being, you know, I know that you and I are kindred spirits with the planning and the, yes. and the routine and it's all combined. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I will tell you that it gets much easier the second time around to accept that help and you get <laughs> a lot better at asking for it too. I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm, you know, not trying to be superwoman all the time and take on all of these crazy things. Well, at least not a hundred percent of the time. And <laughs> I'm, I'm getting better at, you know, telling my husband exactly what I need help with and, you know, asking for help from family and all of that. So you do learn with, with practice. That's good to hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maggie, do you have any favorite products or resources either music therapy related or motherhood related, especially now that you've um, had a new baby and I'm sure have entered the world of baby products and everything that there is out there? You know, it's incredible. I <laughs> I remember registering and one of my dear friends, Carrie Lynn, brought me to um, my baby and she's showing me all these different things and I'm like, okay, what's that? What's this? And I don't know if that's really going to be amazing. And um I will, you know, you chuck at it, but the nose Frida. Oh, yes. The nose Frida. The snot sucker. It's, yeah. Oh, it says it right there on it. It does. And I I think all of my friends who, um, you know, they had babies. Some have had babies before this was around and they just used the, you know, the old bulb that you get from the hospital. But it's it's the most incredible thing. And my son, Keegan, adores it. He laughs. Like he giggles when I use it. Oh, seriously? It's so funny. I'm like, what? But oh, you're lucky. <laughs> I think it's because after, you know, I've relieved his nostrils, he's like, oh, I can breathe. Thank you. And ah, I thought yeah. it really funny doing it. So I think he laughs at my face. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And I think that you're definitely in the minority with that because <laughs> I know that my children like <laughs> hate that thing. Oh. As much as it provides relief, it's like, oh, I wish that they would make that connection the way that Keegan has. <laughs> um, so that is my number number one favorite mommy product. And then I also love um, – a little bit of a backstory here, you know, before I became a mom, being a music therapist and, you know, co-treating with speech language pathologists and physical therapists and occupational therapists. I was like, oh, you know, my, my child will not use a pacifier and (laughs) I'm never going to, you know, be one of those parents. Oh yeah. And, um, what was it? Maybe three weeks after he was born, there was one night when John and I were up and we were just at our wits end and we were ripping open every <laughs> single pacifier that we had been given. And we tried, we tried five different ones. And, you know, of course I was tearing up and thinking, oh my gosh, like a pass, he doesn't even want one. So now, now I do want one and he doesn't <laughs> want one. But then uh-huh. we finally got to the glorious Wubbanub and so you know it's it's personal preference for every child, but he loves his Wubbanub, and whoever just 
decided to uh, sew a stuffed animal to the pacifier. Uh-huh. It was just brilliant because brilliant, it's yeah, thing. And it gives him that, you know, that sensory input as well because he holds on to the little ears of his puppy dog on his pacifier and he's able to self-soothe. And so, I, and now I'm definitely a firm believer, you know, all those ideals you have as a mother before you become a mother about, you know, my oh, child yeah. won't do this or won't do that. And you got to, you do whatever you need to do exactly. to make it <laughs> Well, I just, I have to laugh at that because I remember Parker was about – two weeks old and some of our good friends came over and they had a son that was about a year old at that point and they said I remember my the mom saying oh my gosh if you want to keep your sanity you need to buy some pacifiers just to let you know and I thought in my head oh no 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 I'm we're not going to use pacifiers no that's that's not happening and I was super resistant to the passy for probably the first two or three months of Parker's life and my husband kept saying come on we need to just do it because it's going to make life so much easier for all of us finally you know I caved and and we did the the passy and oh my gosh it was a game changer Game changer, complete game changer. Complete, and and even knowing that, I was still resistant the second time around with Mia. I, for some reason, I don't know, I just had this thing in my head like, okay, she's not going to need the pacifier. Like this will be totally different. We won't need it. And <laughs> now we're now we're coming around. She's she's getting the hang of the passy, and it it really is. It's a game changer once again. So absolutely. <laughs> well, and it really it kind of hit home when um. My sister-in-law, who's a speech-language therapist, she's like, you know, I didn't want my kids to use them either. Here, she was a speech therapist and, you know, had all these cases of students who had had their passies till they were, you know, seven or eight oh and their gosh, teeth yes. were misformed. And, you know, they had lisps and they, they needed music therapy to help with speech goals too. Like, um, But she mentioned that newborns have a sucking reflex mm-hmm. and that it's okay. She's like, Keegan has a strong sucking reflex. He wants to suck and it's part of his normal development. So giving him the pacifier is helping him. And, you know, just kind of having that positive like reframing of it. I was like, oh, all right. Okay, right. great. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a good way to look at it. And I will say that just so that you can, you know, take a glimpse down the road, Parker had that pacifier for about 18 months. And we were petrified of like the whole weaning process with the passy because he, yeah, he loved his passy. And so after all of this worrying and freaking out about taking it away, we did that in two days and it was gone. And yeah, he slept just fine without it. And so it was, all the worrying was for not because it was super easy to get rid of. And he's got great speech and no problems, so long live the passy. <laughs> Absolutely. But not too long. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have any other music therapy-related projects or news that you want to share? Um, yes, and I, you know, I want to say it. I'm not sure actually when we will be submitting our journal article, but um, for my master's degree, I went to Nazareth College of Rochester, and my advisor was Dr. Brian Hunter, 
And I did my master's thesis with his lovely wife, Leslie Hunter, at OC's program, a special education school. And we are currently um, writing up a journal article that we're going to be submitting to Music Therapy Perspectives. So it will be hopefully next year if it gets accepted. Um, be on the lookout for that. It's all about using technology in the special education setting with music therapy. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So very cool. Hopefully, fingers crossed that will be coming out. And oh, besides that, you know, just working every day, day to day, doing. Right, right. <laughs> in the trenches, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for being on the show and providing your perspective and your insight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Maggie a message, you can contact her via email, margaret at gmail.com. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And I would really appreciate it if you would take just a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes so that it reaches even more listeners. I'll talk to you again next week.